write this down. We're in part two, the second installation of our, of our series called Not Normal. And today's message is titled Remark. Remark. If you noticed and you heard me share it last week, we're going to play with the word remarkable. So week number two, we're talking about the word remark. Next week, we're going to talk about the word mark. And then we're going to close off with an amazing word called, uh, titled able. And together that makes remarkable. So as we kicked off our current series last week, Not Normal, we, we said that normal means conforming, conforming to the standard, <clears throat> to the common, usual, regular, natural. It's, it's to be average, we discussed. Just uh, go ahead, and, and I want to continue to just piggyback on that as we get through this introduction because I looked at normal, and when God put this in my heart, it's funny how it happened because I haven't even shared with you how this happened. I went with a bunch of students to a Chick-fil-A leadership um, seminar. I went because they were going to give us free Chick-fil-A. And I said, amen to that. I'll go as a chaperone. So um, I went as a chaperone. I sat in the back row, let the students be crazy. It was real cool, very energetic, and um, very creative how Chick-fil-A, and I forgot the other organization, they merged um, to build up leaders in high school and students. And um, they, they, they quickly uh, used the word remarkable in something that they did. And I don't know why, but when they started to use that word, it just stuck out on me. And it was funny because throughout their seminars, different speakers would go up and grab the mic and talk to us. I just took out my phone, and I began to type a whole bunch of things that God was sharing and putting in my heart. And that's how we got this series, and he gave it to me months back last year. So we look at this word normal, and, and as they said that word remarkable, I started to think about that word normal. And I, after I gave you the definition right now, I, I said, man, that's what everyone is doing. You know, everyone's just going through life, they're surviving, and everyone's just, not everyone, but most people, we're just living average. We're, we're living average. People live day by day. Many work not because they love what they do, but they live and work only for their next paycheck. And maybe some of you in here could probably say amen, but don't do that. But, but some of you will be like, yeah, I just work for the next paycheck. I really hate what I do. Uh, there's a famous saying, you know, when you love what you do, you'll never work a day of your life. For some of you guys, you've never experienced that. You work Every single day of your life. For some people, that's just how life is. I don't want to just talk about work and the exterior things, but I want to get personal with us. Because we're a church with different ages, and if you look around, you'll see that. But a lot of our core is young as well. And the truth is, our marriages get tempted. And our marriages, uh, my goodness, does our flesh and does the enemy like to come and knock on the door of our marriages and try to destroy them? And many marriages... The truth, just, just think about what I'm about to tell you. Many marriages just stay together. They put up with each other. Listen to this. There is no love. They're married by paper, but they're divorced by heart. Is that not true? And that's average. That's normal in today's home. People are, are staying together, but they're divorced by heart. So I want to I be honest today about your marriage. I'm going to be very honest about my marriage because I have to hold that accountable too. I want to be honest about your finances. I want you to be honest today about your walk with Christ. I want you to be honest today about 
your career, about everything that is you today. Because just imagine going on and continuing to live in a way, continuing to live a life which has no purpose. Wandering here on earth, days passing by, no impact, never going out of the way for another, just keeping it simple. Am I describing anyone? Just another regular person walking by. Perfect example, we wake up, maybe eat breakfast, drink coffee, head to work, stressed at work, drive home, stuck in traffic, get home, eat dinner, shower, watch some TV, go to sleep, press the button, repeat tomorrow. How many of us live like that? I just described your life. I literally, your life has become a motion of, of just, well, this is what we do every day and I'm not going to go outside of this. It's, come on, can we be honest? How many of our lives have just become boring? Boring. I read the Gospels and I see the 12 disciples walking with Jesus and it was exciting every single day with him because there were so many people in his path. So he was always up to something. I'm going to pray for that one. I'm going to heal that one. I'm going to call this group to me. Can you imagine if we had the same spirit, same mindset? We walk our dogs around the neighborhood, but it's not just a normal walk. It's watch this. God... Fuck this dog, the first person that I see, I'm going to attack them. I, well, I shouldn't use that word in today's day. Not a good word today to use in today's day. I'm going to share with them. I'm going to share with them God's word. I'm going to share with them God's love. I'm going to just kind of get in their grill and just see what's going on there. Imagine, watch this, if we lived a life with an intention for others, how amazing would that be? How much more interesting would our lives be, our conversations be, the things that we experience? This is true today. It's true for many. It's true for some of us here, this life that we've stayed repeated on and living in. And I believe that those who are the church are not called to live in this manner that I call today normal. I don't believe that for a second, that we're called to live normal. Because the Lord, the Lord didn't place a salvation so strong so that we could live a life so simple. You could write that. He did not place a salvation so strong in our lives so that we could live a life so simple. I just don't see it. I just don't understand that. I don't get it. And it's a shame when a believer has made his nest, has made his home in being normal. And as a church, as the people who represent the longest lasting, most powerful movement, the greatest person who has ever lived, church, that what we belong to and who we belong to, it is impossible to give a description with human words. The truth is we are called to be remarkable. How many of you could say amen? Called to be remarkable. I said the definition last week, and I'll say it again if you weren't here last week. The, the definition for remarkable is this. Notably or conspicuously unusual, extraordinary, worthy of notice or attention. That's what we're called to be. That's exactly what God has put in us. You know, we... I'm going to go to Scripture. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 20 through 26. And I want you to see how Paul, the author, and what he writes here, and I want you to catch the heart. 
the heart behind his passage. Just follow. I'll read from the NLT real quick today. And it says this. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, that whether I live or die, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Who says that, man? Just, just stop there. Who says that? Hey, for me, to living is, is living is Christ, but to die, it's better. It's better. That's a person, when I read that, that is not what? It's not normal. It's not normal. Let's let keep going. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. Do you guys see what's going on here? I mean, I want to live, but I kind of want to die. I mean, what are you doing, man? And then he says this. I'm torn. I'm torn between two desires. I, I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. How many of you can say amen? But for your sakes, he's talking to the church now. It's better that I continue to live, knowing that I'm convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow, experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, that you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. So we can all get together later on and rejoice. So I'm guessing that, that though I want to be with Jesus, all my desire is to be with Jesus, I'm guessing he's going to just keep me here a little bit longer. So we might as well make the best out of it and rejoice. Isn't that awesome? Love Paul's passage to the church of Philippi. Just look at the heart here. I don't know if you guys caught it. The, the heart behind Paul. The, the heart behind these passages. What is Paul, the author, telling us? What is Paul, the author, telling us? Anyone could get it? Anyone could guess it? Anyone want to scream it out? Okay. Amen. He's here to serve. I'm here for the church to give my life. Good. Living for others. All right. You just look at this passage. You see the heart behind his penmanship. And it's so amazing to see how he's telling us, man, I live for something great. I live for something so great. And though I live for something great, I, I mean this phrase, that even to die for it, it's even better. And I, and, I, and I thought about that wordage that he's using. He's basically saying, church, if you live for something, if you live for something that is not worth dying for, then the truth is, you're wasting your time in that thing in which you're living for. Just let that sink in for a moment. If you live for something that is not worth dying for, you're wasting your time here on earth. That's just not normal. Or that's actually used the proper phrase. That's just normal. That's what everyone is doing. That's what most of the world is doing. They're, they're living for things that are not worth dying for. And I wrote this down, and I want to share this with you guys. Here it is. That you've never loved something or someone if you're not willing to die for it. And that's the truth. Some of you are parents. And if I were to ask you, would you die for your kid? Your answer, depending on which child we pick, is probably yes. So I think we had this thing a couple weeks ago. We're not going to pick on that child again. But 
me being a father now, I can't see myself not taking whatever was going to hit Jackson so that I could take that punishment, that I could take that hit so that he could live. Even for my wife, that I could jump in so that she could continue to go on. Because when you love something, when you love someone, it's worth dying for. Is that true? Is that even biblical? I think so. Jesus is perfect proof. In Romans 5.8, it says that God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. He proved it. The famous verse, John 3.16, God loved us that he gave what? His only son. So we will not die, but so that we can live, John 3.16 tells us. So I read that. I see all throughout Scripture that that's Christ's heart, that he, watch this, that God loved, ready? God loved someone so much that he was willing to die for him. God loved someone so much that he was willing to die for them. That's just not normal. And it's the same with us. We live for something far greater that some will never understand. Listen, we love it, we love him so much that our lives are signed off to, that we gave what is precious to us, our life, our very own lives, we gave it away so that even if we die, we'll go on to live forever. That's what it means to the believer. That's what it means to the Christian. Scripture backs it up. In the Bible, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, if you're taking notes, says it. Galatians 2.20 teaches us, and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christ now lives in me. This life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. How many of you can say amen? See, that's, I'm going to go back to it, not normal. So now I'm going to, get personal and I just want to kind of dig into your heart for a moment if I were to ask you guys or if you're here I'm thinking maybe you were a visitor and you're not but if you are a Christian today how many of you are not ashamed and proud of calling yourself a Christ follower and if you were to label yourself something you're a Christian how many of you say you're a Christian almost 100% of the hands are up amen it's a good sign I can't wait for the day it's like 50% haven't had their hands raised, but they're coming in anyways to get saved. Ain't that amazing? Can I get an amen? Most of you guys raised your hand when I said, are you a Christian? The scripture teaches us then if we're Christians, we don't live anymore. That's what we just read. Instead that now we have one who possesses, who dwells in us, and one we, when we once lived an ordinary, average, and common life, now we live a life filled with a faith that fills us with the one who lives in us, who gave himself for us and loved us. His name is Jesus. That's what we just read. So I asked you to raise your hand if you say, Christian, today, thank you for being honest. That was an easy question. It might get a little bit harder as we go through this little quiz. My second question is, how many of you would agree that Christ is remarkable? Before, you know, I should do this. Let me read the definition of remarkable one more time. Notably or conspicuously unusual, extraordinary, worthy of notice or attention. How many of you can say that is Jesus? He's remarkable. All right. 
about the same amount of people just raised your hand. So you're a Christian, number one. Number two, you just admitted that Christ is remarkable. So you, Christian, admitted that Christ is remarkable. That's good. That's good. My third question is this. If you're a Christian, we just admitted that Christ is remarkable. How many of you, how many of you would say that this remarkable Christ now lives in you? Less hands. Okay. Saved and we're Christians, Christ lives in us. So we're Christians, Christ is remarkable, and this remarkable Christ lives in me. Those are some amazing three questions and three answers that you've just answered. I'm a Christian. Christ is remarkable. Remarkable Christ lives in me. But now I'm going to give you a statement. And here it is, and it's biblical. Because that which dwells in you flows from you. So if I'm a Christian, Christ is remarkable, and this remarkable Christ lives in me, then that means there's only but one thing, that I myself am what? Remarkable. Now that's what I don't understand. That's what confuses me about my life, about our lives, about the church. Where are, where is the remarkable men, women, children of God? How many of you could say, amen? Challenge me, Lord. See, we are called to be notably, conspicuously, unusual, extraordinary, worthy of notice, attention. We are called to be remarkable. And the truth is, you might be sitting here today. Maybe someone will listen online. And we might tell ourselves this one thing right here. I desire this for me. I desire this for my marriage. I haven't gotten into the word yet. I'm still in the introduction. I desire this for everything that I do and for all that I am. I really, really desire this. But, but the truth is, I've lost my edge. Maybe you're and this I will not ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you feel like you've lost your edge. Maybe you feel like I've lost the passion. I've lost the desire. I said it during worship that, that his word is dry when I read it. My words, they fall short when I pray. Feel like that? When I worship, I seem disconnected. Feel like that? My marriage is distant. My work is boring. Same friends. I got same problems, life just passes, and I'm not sure if there's anything I'm leaving behind, if there's even a legacy for others to follow, a Christ that people would hear of through my life. I wonder how we would, we would say about those things. I just feel normal. I feel like there's nothing special in my walk. I feel like there's nothing special in this Christianity that I'm living. Well, if that's you today, I truly believe that this series and especially today's message is just for you. Listen, to realign you, to remark you. And I'm going to give you a perfect definition of the word remark. It means this, to note again. And I believe that through God's grace, that there is an again in you. Lord can make you remarkable today, that today he will confront us so that we can note again, listen to this, that we can take path, the path again, so that we can catch the fire again, so that we can feel purpose again. How many of us feel like we've lost purpose? Not if you're not normal. It's like music when I talk, right? It's weird. Not if you're not normal. If you're not normal, there's purpose, and, and God says, I'll give it to you again. I'll give you passion again. I'll give you desire again. I'll give you your edge back again. 
that it's time to remark in the places that you gave up in. And the reality, or uh, I'll be honest, the, the truth of this is you, maybe you alone know the areas. I was driving home with my wife the other day, and, I, and I, I, it's hard for men sometimes to open up. Other women say, yeah, just get it out. All right, so it's hard sometimes for us men to open up. And I said, okay, I'm going to open up a little bit to my wife. And as I was driving home, I said, I got issues. And, you know, she was talking to me, and then she got serious. She's like, what did you just say? And she's like, I got issues, and, you know, I, I know I got some problems in my life. She's like, what are you talking about? And she knew I was being serious. And I just opened up and I said, you know, I've recognized this about myself in these last few days. And then I shared with her the problem. And, and, I, and I said, I, I'm going through this. Boom, 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 boom. And this is how I feel about right. And she admitted it. You know, yeah, I guess you do. <laughs> but I didn't hold on to. There, there are things that I gave up in. There's things that I need even help in. Fire again. Take that path again. In our families, in our marriages, in our careers, in our what we've left behind, what you've dropped along the path of life. How many of us could say here and you've added things to your life? Listen to what I'm about to tell you because now I'm going to get into the message. That you thought we're going to give you more reason, but instead it's left you maybe to be a little bit miserable. And all I could say is, come on, you think the Lord called us with me? Go ahead and turn there. And when you're in Luke 22, give me a big amen. Can you do that? Luke 22, put your finger, put your eye. Jeremiah last week in the life of what we called our buddy's name, Steph. He's having his last meal with his, with his men with these this two years. These were men who have learned so much, who have seen 13. And at times they had other people, many that followed them. And I'm thinking many of us could relate to and it's that they should have matured, but instead they're stuck in immature. Then Nancy and I said, There's, I have issues. I got problems in my life. She's like, what are you talking about? And I, and I shared with her messages for me before I ever preach it to you. Thank God for that. Amen? And here, as Jesus is having that, like watch this. If you're having the last meal with someone before they go, good, go out with a bang, right? Well, <laughs> disciples kind of killed it. Does it sound like any of our families? <laughs> It's our last meal of the year. It's the first meal of the year. So they begin to die, church. He's about to get arrested and crucified. And the disciples, about who would be the greatest among them. Thank God I'm not Jesus. Tells them. So I, I just love the person of Jesus because instead of saying, you know what he's doing? And he says, a perfect teachable moment. Like who thinks like kings and great men, they lord it over their people. And they're called friends among you shall take the lowest rank, shall be the least. And the leader should be a servant, the one who serves. Real quick, stop. Who do you think the disciples are saying? Come on, come on. Treatment. They're the most important, right? They're answering Jesus' question out loud. And Jesus just... And, and he's asking them this question. Who's more important? The one who gets or the one who serves? Of course, you're right. The one who sits on the table. And they're like, I knew it. Peter, Peter's hitting math, but not here. And they're like, what? Yeah, in this world, that's who the one is, not the one who is served. But what does he say as one who serves? So, so he's pretty much said what? You, Jesus? Who gave you guys wine today? I ask you a question. Who's greater? The one who sits at the table and receives? Oh, it's obviously the one at the table. So what does he say? Jesus is so smart. Not down yet. 
You're all sitting and watch this. You're all fighting with, another, with one another and you're arguing like little kids. And how funny it is that you sit, sat down and stopped from serving you. So now answer again. Who's like what? Oh my God, we saw this wrong. It's true. Jesus hasn't. Later on, some of this will sink into some of you. And he says, you have stayed with me in my time of trot to that kingdom. I'm gonna, look what he says. I'm going to grant you the right to eat, and, and you will judge 12 tribes of Israel. Isn't that amazing? You're all going to make it to the table. What is he really telling them? Your own role is more important than the other. You're going to all eat one day in my kingdom. He's having this awesome discussion with his disciples, and he just turns and looks at Peter and says, Pete, Isaac, who he's calling, and he could almost see Peter, right? Simon, Simon. Peter has asked, to sift each of you like wheat, that your faith will not fail. And look what he says next. And turn to me again, you strengthen your brothers. And then I'm going to end with this little part right here. It's this last part, I'm going to preach on this. Lord, I am ready to go to, I'm even ready to die with you. Here, the immaturity of Peter and the disciples, the statement that Jesus is wheat. And after you're done repenting, I want you to watch this. Turn back again. Turn to me. Notice the words. Turn to me what? Huh? Again, Peter. Satan's going to tempt you. Turn to me again. Do you think that I'm actually going to let go of everything you've given me? Shoot, I'll even die for you. And Jesus just goes, today. Peter, in the midst of a very immature argument, speaks out a profound story. Lord, I love you so much. I will die for you. When I passion at this moment, he had his edge at this moment. He had his desire. He had a fire. And we read that clearly. Lord, never. I'm and you start to glimpse on the immaturity that we just saw of Peter. You know, if you continue to arrest him and he takes a sword, he takes a Roman sword out and he... I teach my students, I believe that. I believe he was going to kill the guard, and when the guard went like this and ducked, okay, I believe Peter was going for his neck, and when Peter was going to go for his neck, the dude ducked, he did a man's ear, he was the man again, and says, Peter, get, you're crazy. Say, no, Lord, I'm ready to fight. Oh, then you got him. And Jesus is like, you need to run. Peter was on point. That's what we would say. Let's go to verse 54. Let's read. So the attack on the ear didn't go wrong. They still arrested Jesus. And they, remember, we went to this house. Remember? We went to the prison of Caiaphas' home. And Peter, and Peter followed at a distance. Found it, And Peter joined them there. And then a servant girl noticed Peter. And finally, it came to her senses, and she looks at Peter, and she says, Ah! And Peter looks at her and says, Woman! I don't even know him. Some translation will show very bitter words and even might have cursed in the midst of saying, I don't even know him. So, the, so Peter sits down. And after a while, someone out of them, and he says, no, no, man, I'm not one of them. Else comes to Peter and says, hey, you've you got to be one of them. You've been here for a few hours already. And Peter says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Hold up, stop. I'll go to prison for you. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that fool. 
die for him and you were going to go to jail with him and now you are rejecting him. Man, let's be honest, that's me. I say something one minute, but I live something else the next minute. Come on. I love Jesus and I'm fighting for Jesus. And I come over here and I start to sin. I'm like, what's Peter's saying something one moment, but he's living something else the next. He was at the courtyard, and he turns, and he looks at Peter. Flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me. Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. And the guards in charge of Jesus, in charge of Jesus, began to mock and beat Jesus. Prophesy to us. Who hit you now? Who hit you now? Of terrible insults at Jesus. Come here. A time that Jesus needed Peter the most. Peter, I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to go to jail with you. And then he goes, but not right now. Mocked at, cursed at, and he leaves Jesus at the time Jesus needed him. Peter, where's that spark, Peter? Where's that fire? Where's that desire about Peter right there? Nothing remarkable. It was remarkable. Check that. I would have loved it if I were off. That was cool. <laughs> I said, I'll fight for Jesus. And he sliced the guy's ear off. I would have been there. Like, that was, that's remarkable. He was ready to kill for Jesus, but we know that Jesus is not that kind of... But that was remarkable, man. He was about to cut the guy's ear off when, when he told Jesus, an ordinary person, he's not standing up, he's not defending him. And this is a part of... I'm going to really start coming down the, the hill here and closing up my message soon, but here is where it's true. Because in John chapter 21, Jesus is from 21, things change super fast in Peter's life. To heal the sick people, he doesn't go to go and fight for Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you study Peter's life, Jesus is on the cross. And do you know that when Jesus is on the cross, Peter is not even at the feet of Jesus to be there for him? And one whom Jesus loved was there, but he's like, where's Peter? <laughs> Peter now! Why am I? Rico, where are you now? Because that person. Because your cousin just went to your love and told her she was living in sin. Now, one time, Rico, where are you now? Drop the ball. I lost my edge. I should have said, done that. But God, instead, I left running. And we've all done that. We've all been there. We're children. We weren't the husband and the wife that we should have been. We weren't the father or the mother that we should have been. We were out when we should have stayed faithful with God. How many of us can relate to Peter? I'm, I'm Peter. And that's what I was telling my wife when I was driving, that I'm Peter. And it bothers me that I do that to God. To God. Because nothing about God deserves that. I'm called to be real things about what people think and what they will say about me. All I got to think about, worry about, remarkable for him. But Peter runs away. Study Peter's life. He goes, he goes, he becomes a fisherman again. Peter. What the heck are you doing here? Jesus just died. Well, yeah. Um, I didn't get the attention I need. I don't know. Excuses that people make, you know? Excuses that I make. <laughs> he put the guy's ear back when I cut it off. We make the stupidest excuses, don't we? We blame it on the person sitting next to you. You blame it on me. You blame it on... It has nothing to do with none of that. 
Nothing to do with any of that. There was a time back a few years ago that Jesus says, come on, drop your fish again. Stupid. It's like, Rigo, come to me. It doesn't make sense what Peter does. So we find ourselves in John 21. I'm coming to the, to the finish line with, this, with these points I'm going to make here. It's past the third day. Jesus has resurrected his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Hey, who's going to be the Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? Just a couple days before. Who's going to be the greatest? The charter boat. You were talking about who's going to be the greatest, but then you went back to your sin. You went back. Simon Peter was there. Thomas was there. There, well, Judas had already killed himself at this point. But not all other 11 were there. Do you guys see the attitude behind this? Like, do you see the heart behind this? I'm going fishing. Do you see that? I'm going back. You wake up in the morning. <laughs> the other disciples are struggling with the same thing. No, let's fast and pray. Let's seek God. Let's go up to the mountain of prayer. And everyone's, everyone's a mess. They're all a mess. Well, all right, we might as well go sin together. We might as well. So they went out on the boat. I love this. I love this. I love this. They went out on the boat. Oh, you guys. Huh? What? They caught. What did you think? You thought you were just going to go back, leave Jesus? In you mean to tell me that you were going to drop your passion, your desire, and your edge, and you were just all over you, and you were going to still catch a bunch of fish? Did you really think that God was going to experienced and been through with Jesus? You're going to surrender it all? Watch this. You're not going to catch anything. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to be that church, and I'm not going to be that pastor that says, stop coming to church, stop coming to Jesus, and Jesus will still protect you and love you. And be. Listen to me. If you stand under the umbrella, can't walk away from God. So then at dawn, Jesus is standing on the beach. Guys, Jesus is no longer the same Jesus. And Jesus standing at the beach. The disciples couldn't see who he was. But watch this. Guys, have you caught any fish? Come on, come on. How's your marriage now that you uh, took me out of it? Have you caught any fish? Is it working out for you? Hey, how's church now that your heart is not? I love this, man. I love the Bible. How can you say this book is Jesus and one, two, three? They all say one, two, three. No. Duh. So then he says, watch this, watch this. Do me a favor. Throw out your net. You know very well that that does not matter. Who cares if you drop the net from one side to another side? The gospel says, we did. We tossed, uh, we tossed it here. We tossed it there. We've been tossing all night. There's nothing in the net because there were so many fish in it. Verse 7. And the disciples, the it's the Lord. I love, I love this. I love that when God were again, it came to the senses, it's the Lord. You know how many people I've had meetings with, talked to? God. Now? But just a few months ago. So you mean to tell me that you only recognize the Lord? They come back to the knowledge of Jesus. Now is Jesus. Because I can relate to and I don't know, and I'm mad at Jesus. Jesus does something. God is good. Hallelujah. Hey, that's the relationship you have with me, really? I love that, man. He put on his clothes and he jumped into the wall. Wait, wait, I gotta talk to you. 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 And the others, they should have all jumped in. The, the reality is they should have all jumped in the water and swam. But they're like, 
There was about a hundred. <laughs> they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. <laughs> oh, look at us. Wow, do I feel rebuked. thought that I had to do things in my own and bringing it, dragging it through the nets, about 150 of them with bread. So when I thought I had the supplies need, come on, man, come on. <laughs> He's already at the shore waiting to say what happened because I'm going to tell you what really happened. Peter was sitting next to Jesus at this point. He's like, He's smiling at me. You took an hour to get here with your fish. It's going to rot now. You could, right? You could see Peter doing that. The 11, the 10 could have given us a sign. Telling us to drop the net, you know. Making us feel so. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Come here. When you go back, when you put things back into alignment, listen to me. There's not much you have to work for. Christ already has the breakfast set for you. Jesus. How many of us start like that today? I'm going back to Jesus. What are you going to do? I'm taking all this with time. Here it is. All you need right there. Ready, waiting for you. Like, what do you need? What do you need? What do you really? You guys done? You guys done with this immaturity? Can we change the up to heaven? Are we done yet? So I could get to heaven already and start preparing. We're good. We got this now. So Jesus looks at them and says, bring some of the nets as well to the shore. About 153 large fish. That yet had not yet said. None of the disciples dared to ask him. Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Verse, but let's go to 13. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was, I guess, third time's the charm, right? We're done? Third time? Good? Got it? I'm done with this. Like, I'm not going to appear anymore. I got to go. So after, you know, everyone's happy, right? Like, oh, man. So Jesus says, Peter, come here. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Right there, if I was Jesus, I'm like, well, you didn't show me that a couple days ago. They <laughs> beat up, they ripped off my beard, they were mocking me and cursing at me, and I saw you running, scared, crying. Love about my God? He doesn't bring my past. So he says, Peter, do you love me? He's like, the Lord repeated the question, or he tells him, then feed, feed my lambs, feed my people. Asks Peter, uh, Peter, do you love me? And the Lord, Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. What is doing? He is God. You know what he's doing? He's telling him to what? Go back, go back. Do this, do this. Go. So he replied again, son of John, Peter, do you love me? And Peter now is hurt. That Jesus, everything. And you know that I love you. And Jesus, the, he stops. And he says, I tell you the truth. You were wooed, you will stretch out your hands, others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And then in verse 19, in verse 19, he says, Jesus said this to Len. Jesus told Peter, Come on, church, what? Did Jesus not already say this to Peter years ago? Only one explanation. Peter stopped feeding the sheep. He stopped feeding the flock. He stopped the passion, it all. And God says, follow me. Jesus, let's remark 
Let's note again. Let's get reminding Peter of his love for him. He tells Peter something that he told him years. We read about 20 minutes ago. I'll read it to you again. Simon, Simon, hear over you. I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail, but that when you have... See, when I read this passage, when you have repented... Because when he says when you have repented, it only means one thing. Would you set Peter up for failure then? Because that's what it seems like. He was setting him up for growth, for change, and for maturity. Strengthen your brethren. Turn to me again. Pick Mark. Catch the fire. Catch the passion and the desire again. You want to know what he's telling him to do? Repent. Good, you've repented. I restore and follow me and do what you were called to do. Do it again. And I'm telling you today that that's not normal. That's not normal. Us in our human condition, we X you away. Taking advantage of me. But instead, Jesus doesn't do that. He actually is doing some of his greatest works in us. And actually, I'm doing a work in you that I would have never been able to do if you would have not have gone through that. Come on. Mark, to take back, to be filled with passion and desire and fire again, to be no Peter's life would never be the same again. If you read the book of Acts, his life was transformed. Because there is an again in me. I am able to be but because of what he has offered me. I could do it. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close off. Listen to the Lord. Not normal. Maybe you're in this room. I'm going to ask you to come up here. We want to pray for you. You feel like, Lord, I know there's an again. I, I know I'm called to be remarkable. I, Lord, I, I'm done with this, Lord. I'm, I'm not going back to fishing. I'm not going back to what I know. I'm going back to what you've called me to, Lord. I'm, let's do this, Lord. Restore me, Lord. Allow me to note again. I want to be Mark to take that passion, to take that desire, that edge. Give it back to me, Lord. Give me of my sin. Lord, I repent. Restore me. Cover me. I know that what I have to offer is not good. You already have breakfast. You already have the fish cooking. The bread waiting for me. It's you, God. Forgive me for, for being normal, for being casual, for being lukewarm, for, for being average be like the second half of Peter's life Lord I want to be remarkable for you boring I want my marriage to mean something really like say that if if your marriage is going through something Lord I want my marriage to mean something I want my workplace to mean something come on church I want my family to mean something I want my faith to mean something I want my ministry to mean something I want my friendships to mean something I want my life I want to leave a legacy for the goodness of Christ come on you should start praying you should start seeking him you know what's, what you've dropped you know what you've let go of Come on, cry it out. Cry it out to God.
tell them. Speak it out. Don't worry. Speak it out. If you've got to pray with someone, pray with someone. If you've got to grab your wife, your husband, your children, if you just got to come up here and let go, just, just let it go. Come on, seek the Lord where he may be found. Seek him. Again. I pick it up again. Come on, church. Yes.